Hi everyone, it's Crystal, BuildUp's communications manager. Our first guest of the year is Eric Ressler, founder and creative director of Cosmic, a social impact creative agency with a mission to help organizations that aim to move humanity forward fulfill their goal by refining their approaches towards design and communications. Eric has substantial experience with brand and digital-based strategies and has worked on projects on a national and international scale. With that, here's Nick's conversation with Eric Ressler. You're listening to the Nonprofit Build-Up Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Campbell. I want to support movements that can interrupt cycles of injustice and inequity and shift power towards vulnerable and marginalized communities. I've spent years working in and with nonprofits and philanthropies, and I know how important infrastructure is to outcomes. On this show, we'll talk about how to build capacity to transform the way you and your organization work. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the Nonprofit Buildup. I am so excited for our conversation today. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, of course. I think it's going to, going to be a really good conversation. And to get us started, can you tell us about Cosmic, role there, and what Cosmic is really focused on, particularly given the environment in which we find ourselves today? Cosmic is a social impact creative agency. I'm the founder and the creative director at Cosmic. We've been around for about 11 years now. And our focus is really on helping nonprofits, social enterprises, and basically any organization that exists to move humanity forward to do that better through the lens of design and communications. Okay, so I am really looking forward to talking with you more about design and communications, particularly as it relates to social impact and the sector. When you think about what you are doing today, given the environment in which we find ourselves. There's lots of conversations around how we can be more equitable in the way we work with each other and the work that we're doing in different communities. How do you find Cosmic showing up and playing a role in that space? So I'm going to kind of take us back to one of our core philosophies to frame the rest of the conversation. And that philosophy is this concept of the attention economy. So today, we live in this era where information is free and flowing. And for many of us, it's overwhelming. There's so much that we're on a day-to-day basis being presented with from all different types of organizations, from social impact organizations to corporations and news outlets. And we're all very hyper-connected and hyper-aware through all of our digital channels and devices. And so now, information is no longer scarce. It's overwhelming. And the new scarcity is really how do you reach people and capture their attention and then sustain it? So the work that we do and everything that we think about, including equity, which we can certainly dig into later in the conversation, it needs to be framed from that perspective and that understanding because we live in that paradigm, whether or not we realize it. That is the new game. And so a lot of what we try to do with our clients is help them understand How can they play in that game and win in that game to move humanity forward instead of letting people who are leveraging their skills in that paradigm for other purposes? 
when you raise that question of how do you play in this space, as you mentioned, everything is really connected at this point, but there is this sense of overwhelm. And so I wonder how are nonprofits that are smaller, social impact organizations that are smaller, they have smaller budgets, they have smaller staff, and therefore not as much capacity as they would like. How are they able to break through the noise and share their message with those who need it? We've seen this work for small organizations before, and it requires a few fundamental things to be in place in our experience. The first is that these organizations need to have a real clarity of purpose for their organization. So it really starts with this other concept that we like to call really like thriving in a niche within your ecosystem. So within the social impact space, there's a lot of different focus areas from climate to social justice to workers' rights to poverty, right? There's all these different issue areas. And oftentimes, a nonprofit is focused on one of these areas. But even within one of those areas, within one of these niches, so to speak, there's multiple organizations kind of showing up in one way or another. And what we find is that oftentimes, nonprofit organizations uh, and social enterprises, they don't really get specific enough around how they bring unique strengths and unique differentiators to the space. In the business world, this would be called positioning, right? In the nonprofit world or the social impact space, it's, it's, we like to think about it more as really thriving in your niche in the ecosystem. And if you don't do that, it's really hard for the rest of it to come together effectively because you're trying to say too many things to too many different people. Your internal organization doesn't really have alignment around where you're trying to go and the direction and the momentum around where you're trying to go. We spend a lot of time with our clients really trying to help them figure out what are you uniquely qualified to do as an organization. And sometimes that comes back to the origin story, your staff, your skill set. But even beyond that, it's about getting really clear about that. And that allows you to drive decision-making and organizational priorities and strategy in a way that if you don't do that work, it becomes really hard to do the rest of it. So that's kind of fundamental. From there, it really comes down to knowing based on that, who is your audience and what do they value and how do their values align with the values of your organization and the mission and the trajectory of your organization. And when you get those two things clear, it makes it so much easier to produce content and experiences and value and impact that really motivates and inspires the community that you serve in a way that's much more meaningful and authentic than just kind of a scattershot approach where you're just focused on a broad issue area, putting out generic content, you know, and not really making the full impact that you have potential to make as an organization. What you're saying resonates so much, you know, particularly around getting clarity in your message, getting specific about who you serve, why you're doing it, and really aligning your audience, your funders, your donors. So it, that all resonates and makes complete sense to me. I guess a follow-up question would be for those organizations that might be saying too many things to too many people, how would they know? 
what are some indicators that you would say, look, you need to look out for this, this, and this, and this is how you can tell that your message is overly broad? Because I think of the nonprofit organizations that are doing tremendous work and they are doing lots of different things. And so their message tends to reflect that. And I'm just wondering, how do they go from a point where they may not even know that their message is overbroad to getting them to a point where they're specific and very clear in their messaging? So there's a few different symptoms to look out from different perspectives. One would be from an emotional standpoint, does leadership and does staff feel pulled in too many directions strategically from a capacity standpoint? And even just, again, from an emotional standpoint, does it feel like, and I think this is quite common, especially relating back to this attention economy, our attention is so fragmented in our culture in general And then on top of that, if our attention is fragmented in our work culture, because there's too many different priorities we're trying to achieve, or there's too many different strategies that we're trying to balance, that's one symptom. And it's very common. And I think it's probably the biggest thing holding our sector back and most sectors back right now. So that's one symptom of it. Another symptom of it might be, if you're going to sit down and write a piece of content or produce a piece of content, if it's a podcast, whatever it is, Do you have clarity around who is the intended audience for that piece of content so that you know exactly who you're speaking to, you know exactly what kind of information that they're looking for? If it feels like when anytime you're trying to write an email, it's an existential crisis, that's a really good sign that something's wrong about your positioning or defining your unique strengths in your audience as an organization. So those are kind of two main symptoms that I would look out for. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, really looking internally to seeing how is the leadership actually able to talk about the work that the organization is doing and are they doing it in a compelling way and being able to weave that into the organization's story? When I think about all of these different pieces, which are which are clear, you know, you're explaining it all and I'm, it's resonating. What comes to mind for me is how does an organization know to reach out to a cosmic? When do you know that this is the time where you should be bringing in a communications firm, particularly when you have limited resources, limited capacity, you're, you're being pulled and tugged in all these different directions? Is there a time when you know, you're a small organization, limited resources, you are, your message is overbroad, you're understanding all of these symptoms and you're saying, I need help. When are you too small and when are you just right? When should you be reaching out for help? Well, I'm a little biased here. And so I'll admit that. But my answer is going to be the same. And my answer is today, only because you didn't do it yesterday. (laughs) So that's my authentic answer. And the reason I say that is because as much as I believe social impact organizations need to build capacity around communications and branding and design, and that needs to be valued at the same level as the quote-unquote program work as if those things are separate because ultimately our belief is that they're not. That this is a tool just like science is a tool or just like qualitative research is a tool. Design and communications is a skill set and a tool that is a critical one in terms of making social change. And we've seen this over and over and over again in our work and by studying this work. So I think where an agency adds a lot of value is that we can come in or any agency who has expertise in these tools. And I do think 
an agency that specializes in working with nonprofits or in cause-based organizations is an important element to it. And I say this as a founder of an agency that didn't used to be focused on social impact when we first started is a shift that we've made. We can talk more about the value that an agency adds is that we can come in with an outside perspective and see your blind spots as an organization and ask empathetic questions to try and understand where there are gaps in the strategy, where there are gaps in the execution of the strategy and see where there's dissonance between what we hear and what we see. So this outside perspective is ultimately the biggest value add that an agency can bring to the table. On top of that, we work with organizations in this space across a broad group of focus areas, right? So we're doing work on social issues, environmental issues. We're doing work with small organizations, with large organizations. And the experience, the lived experience of doing this work across multiple organizations and seeing what works and what doesn't is something that is unique to an agency. Even if you build out an internal agency within your organization, the lived experience of that internal team is going to be limited to your organization. So this broader experience is going to allow us and allows us to start to see trends and patterns and experiment across much larger sample size than if we were only working in-house with one organization. So those are some of the main things that I would say an agency can bring to the table. When is it time to do it? A more tactical answer there would be, it's especially important if in a few different cases. One, if you're just getting started, if you're spinning up a new venture or a new program or a new campaign, that's a really good time. Another is if you're going through a really large organizational pivot, you're changing your mission, you're changing your point of view as an organization, you have a new theory of change around how your work should happen. That needs to be communicated and it's a really good time to bring an agency in. And then another is if you're just stalling out, if you're feeling stuck, if you're having trouble getting traction, if you're caught in a starvation cycle, if you feel like you're doing really good work, but you're not getting the right amount of support financially or through volunteers, or you're not attracting and retaining the right amount of talent or the right people to do the work, it's possible that an element of that is around your branding and your communications. And that's maybe this Achilles heel that could be holding you back without you realizing it. It's not, might not be the only thing, but it's often the most underserved part of the organization in our experience. From where I sit, we're constantly thinking about infrastructure and sustainability. And what I'm hearing from your response is that communications, like the way you look at your communication strategy and being able to tell your compelling story is critical to your ability to be sustainable and show up for the communities that need you, particularly those that have been historically marginalized and are vulnerable. And so the more you can build up this communications tool to tell your compelling story, the more impactful you can actually be. I'd love to hear how you think about storytelling as it relates to the sustainability of an organization? And what are some key aspects of telling a compelling story that you think might lead to an organization's sustainability or their ability to have greater impact within the communities that they're problem solving alongside? I think what I would start by saying is that there's a fundamental 
fallacy that we see almost every organization that comes to us fall trap to. And that is thinking that their story is about them, that their story is about their organization and the work that they're doing. There's a place for that, but it's the least important part of the story. The most important part of the story and the way that your story needs to be framed, and this goes for social impact organizations, but it goes really for any... This is just storytelling and marketing 101. You need to frame your story around your supporters and how they can get involved and how they can help be part of the larger impact that happens. And so you need to make your supporters the hero of the story, not your organization. You're the guide, you're the convener, you're the platform, but the story isn't about you. It's about how your community can show up and get involved. And I think this is true for movements and for causes, but I think it's also true for systems level organizations that are convening and they're trying to make policy change happen. And so that's kind of one big thing that we've seen over and over and over again. Another big thing is people thinking that they just need to figure out this magical framing of their story and it will solve all of their problems. And it's just not true. It's an important part of it. Messaging and how you tell your story and how you frame it and framing it emotionally, making it touch people in ways that affects change and inspires action is certainly part of it. But even if you have the most compelling story in the world, but you don't have a solid content strategy and a way to continuously engage people and drive them back into your ecosystem, it's not going to make a difference. So I think sometimes the term storytelling, it can be thought of as this like magical thing that once you just figure out how to tell your story right, everything else will fall into place. And it's just not how it works. There's so much more to it than just getting that story right. It's important, but it's only part of the equation. When you're talking about framing the story, so it's less about the organization and it's about the supporters being the hero in the story, how do you suggest organizations talk about the communities that they're serving when they are, you know, appealing to funders, they're appealing to donors around like a particular project or a need within a specific community. So how do you sort of do that framing where you're equally looking at, okay, here's how the funding is going to come in, but also this is the whole reason for why we exist, why we're asking for the funding and where the need actually is within this particular community. What I would say is that it breaks down into a couple of different themes. One would be education. So a lot of times social impact organizations have a place to educate the general public around an issue and make a case for why it matters and what needs to be done next. One of the things that we think a lot about is that nonprofit organizations and social impact organizations are often experts in their field. They're the organization that sees the work, that has lived experience, that's oftentimes doing boots on the ground work. If they're not doing boots on the ground work, then they're usually convening a lot of other organizations that are doing boots on the ground work. But you're essentially building an expertise-based firm that has unique insights and sees patterns and sees where there are problems and has strong opinions that are informed by experience around what the solutions might be. So one big element of being a social impact organization is education. It's taking all of this lived experience as an organization 
and communicating that to the people that need to be part of that change in a way that makes sense to them. So even if you're doing deep research and science-based work, which a lot of times these organizations are doing, you can't release your story as academic white papers only. There might be a place for that, and there often is a place for that. But you need to figure out how to break down those stories in a way that's appealing and accessible to a broader audience, to the everyday citizen. And by framing your story that way, it's going to make a huge difference in terms of just scaling your impact and your your audience in general. So education is one element of it. Another element of it often is what would broadly be called advocacy, right? Which is not just educating people, but actually galvanizing a community to get inspired and to take action. And what those actions are, again, depends on the type of organization. It could be showing support through gifts or donations. It could be showing support through volunteer efforts or sharing and spreading the word around this important issue and why it matters and trying to change culture and to educate our modern culture around an emerging issue or updates to an issue that's been prevalent for a really long time. But it might also be really focused more on getting the right people in positions of power or influence to make the right choices. And that can be around pressuring politicians or getting enough people to speak up and speak their mind and stand up for what's right and encouraging people who have power to make choices that serve more and more of our community. So it really kind of breaks down into two of those main categories. And what we've seen is that when nonprofits especially get confused around, oh, we have our community that we serve or our clients, we have our supporters and we have our donors, how are we going to tell different stories to all of them? When you focus your story around the change that you're trying to create and craft a compelling narrative around making a case for that change, why it matters, why it's important, and and what we need to do next to get involved, that story is relevant to every audience. Certainly, there's sub-messages that need to be crafted and curated for different audiences, but that should be the main one. When I hear about or think about lived experience and those with lived experience telling their stories, I think that that is actually, you know, the most powerful way to talk about a problem and to then work on ways to to solve that problem or address it. But what also comes with that lived experience is often that it's from communities that have been historically marginalized. They're not necessarily the ones with the power in that particular situation. And so I'd love to hear how you're thinking about the role that communications can play in that bridge of, you know, that advocacy is a very powerful tool, but you, you might be placing it in the hands of those who within a greater system do not have the power to actually make full use of it. So I'd love to hear how you think about communications playing a role in creating that bridge and helping to amplify the voices of those with lived experience. Another way to think about this is you need to find a way to humanize your work. And that can be very obvious and intuitive for certain organizations, especially organizations doing emotional work on the ground. It can be a lot harder for organizations who have an impact that's more of a ripple effect than a direct, you know, tangible impact. And, and there's a place for both types of organizations. I and mean, when we talk about some of these issues, there's a need for relief 
and then there's a need for systemic change. And we can't only do one. We can't focus only on systemic change and ignore all the people who need help right now. And so I think those relief-based organizations often get to this place much more easily because they have these boots on the ground stories, these emotional stories, these human stories from people that they've directly helped as an organization. And the organizations focused more on convening and systems change and trying to change our structures. Those stories aren't as intuitive or accessible to them, but they have to find a way to make their work human. Because if you can't find a way to frame your work from a lens of humanity, you're not going to reach people more deeply through their emotional brain, right? So, you know, you talk about, or you often hear people talk about people who give with their hearts and people who give with their brains, and I think, or their heads. And I think that ultimately, at some level, everyone gives from their heart, even large foundations and institutional philanthropy who want to make this as scientific and rigorous as possible. They're never going to escape that emotional framing fully because we're all just people and we're all human at the end of the day. How communications can bridge the gap between underserved communities and those people who have an influence and power. I think that is where I see social impact organizations coming in to help bridge that divide. So when you talk about underserved communities or marginalized communities, they don't have convening power or the ability to leverage their power to the same degree that people in positions of privilege and power just inherently do because of where they sit in our hierarchical society. And so that's where I think collective action comes in, right? When you can convene a group of people, when you can build a movement of people who share values, who want to further their rights and their equity and their ability to be included in society at the same level as others, that's where power in numbers really comes in. And we've seen this happen over and over again through social movements, through political movements, but it does require a convener. And that convener can't be a person who had a lived experience that caused them to hit a breaking point and say, I'm not going to stand for this anymore. And I'm going to get organized and I'm going to get a bunch of people who believe in these same values and the same version of a better future that I see. And we're going to make change happen. And at that point, it does become a movement or an organization. It also can happen with an organization of people who are in a relatively higher position of power than underserved communities, but that believe in those communities and their equal rights and their ability to participate in society at the same level and help leverage that power to make that change on their behalf. And that is where it can get a little tricky because you can't do that in a silo. And that's where we need to make sure that we're building organizations that look like the communities that we serve in terms of demographics, in terms of lived experience, and making sure that that is done in an inclusive and participatory way instead of a like, you know, riding in on a white horse to save the day kind of way. It's about building organizations that are people-centered and when you mentioned collective action, right? Um, it, it brought me back to how we started our conversation, which is thinking about this hyper connection that we have, you know, mainly to you know lots of devices and platforms that are out there, but we really are interconnected at this point, and it's showing up 
very clearly throughout this pandemic globally, that at the core of everything, there are humans, right, that are involved in different situations of need, of being able to say, I'm going to raise my hand, of starting movements and saying, let me start using certain lenses, you know, in particular, equity lenses and thinking, when we do this particular action, how does that impact others? And just realizing again, how interconnected we are. So that all resonates with me. And I know we talked about when we think about communications messaging, saying, you know, nonprofits, um, social impact organizations really should be focused on getting more niche in their messaging, getting more clear and specific. And then kind of stepping away from the broader messaging and talking to lots of different people and sharing lots of different things at the same time. I wonder if you could take a step back even further, Eric, and I would love to hear your advice to funders in particular. I know we've been talking a lot about the nonprofit organizations, but for funders who are supporting these organizations. They also are seeing lots of things happening. They understand the capacity needs of organizations and the resource needs as well. How should they be framing their support, thinking about how they approach organizations and can help them, particularly around communications, as that then impacts those organizations' sustainability? A couple thoughts here. One, fund it for your organizations that you fund, because sometimes they don't. I think that's starting to change, but this goes all the way back to the overhead trap that we find ourselves in over and over and over again in this sector around restricted grants and gifts and not really providing these organizations with the true infrastructure and operating support they need to be effective organizations. So that's one is give organizations general operating funds, ideally multi-year funds, and do it in an unrestricted way so that they have the ability to invest resources and infrastructure like communications and not just strictly program work. If things need to be framed in program buckets, make sure your programs have a communications budget. So that's like a more simple tactical answer to the question. And then I think funders also have a place from a communication standpoint as well in that funders are looking from a position of a different vantage point than some of the organizations that they fund. So they have a portfolio of organizations that they are supporting. And this gives them insights in a different way than organizations that are on the ground. It's not necessarily that they have better insights. It's just a different vantage point. But I think that creates almost like an ethical mandate for them to share those insights in a transparent way instead of keeping those insights in-house. And I think that that means sharing their failures as well as their successes. Because if we're going to move some of these large issues forward, we can't silo knowledge. We have to share it in a transparent way so that we can all learn from one another's successes and failures. And so... Funders are at this unique vantage point where they are placing bets, essentially, on organizations that they believe in, and they're seeing what works and what doesn't from a strategic standpoint, from a approach standpoint, and even just what organizations are able to drive change and what organizations aren't. And so I think funders need to share those insights and that knowledge and that experience with the broader communities that they serve and the issues areas that they serve and really serve as a source of knowledge for these organizations and 
be able to provide them with more than just money, but also guidance and advice in a way that is peer to peer, not top down, not, Hey, we're going to assume we know more about the work than you do because we see it being done by all of these organizations. But Hey, here are the traps. Here's what we've seen not work before. Here are our concerns about this approach. Let's talk through it and set ourselves up for success together. So that's, and from a communication standpoint, it's publishing, it's publishing those insights in an open, transparent way so that everyone can easily access it and learn from it. Right. So it's sharing information, not sort of keeping it within your own ecosystem as a funder. And also, you know, focusing on multi-year general operating support. I, you know, I feel like I'm saying that every single episode and every time I write, but I completely agree with you. I think we really do need to shift as a sector towards that because that is when we start to build strong, sustainable organizations. Uh, So I appreciate that response. You know, Eric, you're comments, this conversation has been so thoughtful, so insightful. And I would love to ask you a question that we ask our guests to help us continue to build knowledge through books and people we should learn from or about to close this out. What book do you think we should read next? Or what artist do you think we should be paying attention to? So I'm going to answer this in a way that's probably counterintuitive to what you're expecting. And I'm going to answer it from a personal place, which is for me, and I think this is true for so many people, when you're doing work in this space, there's a need to pause and to reflect and to recharge. And so I'm going to say, for me, especially lately, that's been music. And I have an artist that I've really been digging lately that's an instrumental artist and their name is Leclerc. It's a French name. It's essentially instrumental progressive funk and it's awesome and everyone should listen to it if that's your thing or even if it's your it's not you should give it a, a chance and i think it's so important for everyone in this space to not spin out on the work because it's so easy to do that it's so easy to think about it nonstop and that doesn't work long term it's not a sustainable approach and i think we've seen in the last couple of years especially and even specifically in this sector, so much burnout. And there's so many reasons for that. That could be its own podcast episode. But I would encourage everyone in this sector to not read another book about this sector and instead do something that recharges you as a person. I think that is so spot on. We definitely need to recharge. We are doing heavy, heavy lifting here and heavy work. And I don't think that people take that time to recharge and practice self-care. So I really appreciate that recommendation. We will put it in the show notes so that people can check it out. So thank you for sharing that. Eric, like I said, this conversation has been really tremendous. And I really appreciate your insight around how interconnected we are just globally in the work that we're doing and how we're working with each other and how that then impacts how we communicate our messaging, our stories, and how we're problem solving using communication alongside the communities that we're serving. So I I really appreciate all of your insights and just the thought and just practical recommendations and advice that you've shared. And And I really think that the knowledge that you have shared today and those insights will allow leaders 
to use them, use these same insights and knowledge in their own organization to help them build bravely. So I want to thank you so much again for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nonprofit Buildup. To access the show notes, additional resources, and information on how you can work with us, please visit our website at buildupadvisory.com. We invite you to listen again next week as we share another episode about scaling impact by building infrastructure and capacity in the nonprofit sector. Keep building bravely.